Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want more information on my company, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. I got two co-hosts again tonight, today, this morning, whatever we are. We're used to recording at night, but uh, it's morning now. And we got Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. If you want more information about them, check out muskymayhemtackle.com. Our guest today comes with a long list of accolades. He's the co-host of Linder's Angling Edge. He's also the CEO of Linder Media Productions. In 2008, he was in, inducted into the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. He's also been Rapala Angler of the Year and member of the Minnesota Fishing Hall of Fame. James Linder, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your schedule this morning. No, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. No no question about it. We got winter locked up, so it's time to do a lot of uh, office duty, I, I guess. You know, over the course of a year, we actually uh, get a chance to... Uh, really fish for a wide variety of different fish species, which is really fun. It, it really is. That's what part of it is. I think we actually generate close to uh, 80 different television programs throughout the course of the season. So we get a, a chance to fish all over uh, North America, really, you know, which is it's sort of in, intriguing. It's very, it's a lot of fun. You know, and the, the thing is, is today's day and age, uh, fishing is really good. It really is for a lot of different species. Fishing is, is really, you know, very, very good. You know, and, and the big thing is probably the equipment that we have that really speeds the fish finding processes, you know. Sure. But, and we'll definitely dive a lot into that with you. Obviously, we have a wealth of knowledge with you, uh, lots of experience on the water. But for, uh, typically when we have a first-time guest on, we generally get a background on them. With you, there's a lot of background. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of um, – you guys have done a lot of great things with the fishing industry. Do you want to give the listeners a little idea of kind of – where you started and where you are now. And then as we continue the podcast, we'll talk about, you know, tips, tactics, the future, things you've seen, things that have changed. But if you could, sure. why don't you just give us a background yeah. on all things Linda? Well, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to do it in a nutshell really quickly. Um, actually, uh, obviously, you know, we worked with in fishermen for years, or we actually, our, the first company we had was Lindy Tackle Manufacturing, which we did that for a number of years, sold that company, and then started in fishermen and ran that for 20 years. And then our, the more recent company is uh, Linder Media Productions, and Linder Media Productions actually produces uh, six different television shows. Uh, we do the Ontario Experience, a show for Lund Boats, and then we do the ang- Linder's uh, Angling Edge, and then the Fishing Edge show. These are all 13-week series, believe it or not. And then we're also doing uh, another show called the Angling Buzz, which is a sort of a, a regional uh show that I know many of our listeners have probably watched. It's a lot of online social media delivery of uh, current uh, trends and angling, what's going on, you know, whether it be for all different species of fish. But the uh, it's a lot of work, you know, and a lot of people actually say, you know, I wish I had your job. All you do is fish. <laughs> and to tell you the truth, well, a lot of what I do is actually, uh, people don't realize that what we do is actually we're a marketing company that actually revolves around the fishing industry which is cool in the fact that it, with that i get a chance to fish for all different species of fish and that's one thing that you know even you know i get a chance to speak i go to a lot of seminars throughout the course of a year from anywhere from toronto to the dakotas and everywhere in between and people always say you know what's your favorite fish and they think it's always smallmouth bass or muskies but the truth in the matter if you were to ask me what my favorite fish it would be whatever's biting <laughs> that's what i i like fishing for you know what i mean and i think each species of fish you fish for has unique characteristics and what i mean by that uh the way they move in the water and their you know even presentations uh 
to catch them actually make you a better angler that you can actually transpose it, that knowledge to other fish, if you understand what I mean. You know, it, it, fishing is uh, it's sort of interesting in the fact that it's, it's complex or as simple as you'd like to make it, you know what I mean? And I'm, I love fishing for everything, you know, from panfish to, you know, crappies and catfish and, you know, muskies and northern pike. You know, I, I actually have the tendency to uh, have preferred windows at, you know, seasonally because we're fishing, you know, more or less 365 days a year. But I try to uh, mix and match my uh, fishing throughout the course of the season. You know, we fish for a lot of different fish. It's it's a fun. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. You know what I mean. We do a lot of editing right now. Where our new television shows are rolling on Angling Edge, Fishing Edge, and as well as a lot of these other thirteen week series. We're just uh, we have uh, like five editing editors here. Uh, we are feverishly working on those programs right now, loading commercials and doing all the the detail work to get those out. Start is start airing at the end of December is when those shows the new shows go out. Oh, James, would you would you be willing to kind of share what your daily grind looks like? Like, say this winter. I mean, right now we're kind of in between the water fishing and the hard water fishing with the ice. Yeah, that's you... a great that's a great question, Brad. Because you, a lot of people would think that you know they say, "Well, this is your offside. This is sort of the slow time of the year for you." It's actually the complete opposite. This is one of the uh, busiest times of the year for us for that exact reason, because we're in editing mode right now. You know, throughout the summer, we do a lot of field production, you know, for these different programs. And then throughout the latter part of summer, throughout the fall to about now, you do a lot of uh, in uh, studio editing, writing, scripting, constructing these television programs. Uh, in preparation for the air, airing. And so once you, these television shows start to air, you can't edit them fast enough that they, they roll up on top of you. So you've got to be ahead of the curve as far as the television programming. And, you know what I mean? With these series go out, you have to be that far out ahead of them because they roll. you can't edit them as fast as they air. So we're, you know, as a general rule, we'd like to be at some of our these programs, the whole 13-week series are done right now and then some of them are only like six or we're in show six or seven so we have to really keep the ball rolling and so when i come into the office i'm I'm working on a wide variety of different uh, complexities everything from uh, advertising sales the production processes i do a lot of uh, outlining uh, different editorial content for these different programs one of the jobs that i actually enjoy the most if you were to look at my job Believe it or not, it's just research and development with our different uh, marketing partners. I do a lot of with all of them, you know, from rod manufacturers, real manufacturers, electronics, you know, where I do, you know, tackle manufacturers, work on different product development. That's one thing that I probably, out of any aspect of my job, what I enjoy the most is, is that is research and development on products. You know what I mean? We're actually, at, a lot of times, these guys are... I actually just came back from a trip from Saginaw Bay, Michigan. We're working on some new rods We're, uh, with uh, St. Croix. And so I was going over there and so doing some testing because everything was locked up over here. But that being said, that's, that's a one type of part of the job that I really probably enjoy the most, you know. So it's just a like it's so interesting. All you do is fish, I guess. <laughs> that's what I, all I do, sort of. No, it's, yeah. but it, it's, a fun, think- it's a fun, it's a it's a fun job. The thing is, one thing that you can't say, you know what I mean? Uh, it's never, uh, you're never, we're pretty cast saturated. We'll put it that way. All the people that work here, and it's one thing, it's sort of a lifestyle type thing too, you know, where people really enjoy, uh, you know, most of the people I work with here, you know, really have the, the passion for 
this. And we're a small company like you guys too, where you do everything. You know, I sweep the floors. I do this, that, you know, I mean, you do a, a lot of different things, you know, from sales and marketing and this and that. And so it's like, a, you know, years ago, we used to actually have downtimes, but it seems like today's day and age and the way business operates, there's not a lot of downtime. You know what I mean? It's hard to even regroup and uh, re-strategize for the next year. You sort of roll into it. You know what I mean? Where we used to have like four or five-year plans in today's day and age. That's a, not a lot of companies operate that way anymore at all. You know, the way we used to with like in, it was even within Fisherman 25 years ago, dynamically different. Just the speed of everything is, is just uh, is moving so quickly. You know what I mean? I, I do, James. You know, Everybody thinks it's glamorous. Even me as a guide, man, you're so fortunate. You get to fish every day. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I do it because it's a passion and I love it. But at the same time, it's not always so glamorous. <laughs> no, no, it, it isn't. It isn't. No. Well, it, a lot of people don't realize the other part of the puzzle. They see the what you do like on television and they don't realize the, the depth of the background that's associated to go do that. You know what I mean? And there's a lot to it. It really, there is it, every different program you shoot or, you know, the whole editing processes, and scripting and writing and music, you know, associated to, you know, music rights for, for television shows. You know what I mean? It, it, a lot of people wouldn't even realize how much money I spend on just buying music rights to air 85 different television shows in this national buyout right so it can be aired anywhere how much money that that would literally cost us to get those music right yeah i i've experienced that with some of the video work that i've done and i'm sure jeff could probably do that too i mean, i don't know if you're aware but jeff has done a, a great job on uh youtube with uh team rhino outdoors yeah um, i'm pretty very familiar with it <laughs> oh yeah you know that that's one thing that's really changed, James. And I, you know, maybe you can uh, talk to us a little bit about that with with the way cameras have changed. And I mean, people can film right off their cell phone. So, you know, when I first started doing some videos, it was expensive. I mean, the editing software was expensive. The cameras were expensive. And then if you got into microphones, I mean, that's been a huge change in itself. That is a, uh, that's a, uh, it's unbelievable. How how dynamically it's changed from uh, desktop editing cameras and even shooting underwater photography, drone imagery, where years ago or not even really that long ago, it was really hard to, for somebody to get into this type of work, you know, because the uh, overhead to do that was expensive. It was very expensive. It wasn't that long ago. I used to have cameras or I still actually have some cameras that were they were $75,000 cameras in a lens. I had lenses that were $25,000 just for the lens. In today's day and age, you have cameras that will do the same thing as that seventy-five dollars or $100,000 camera. And you can buy it for you know, a, a fraction of the cost. So the thing, what it has done for us, it put a lot more competition in the marketplace. You know what I mean? Where anybody can go do this, you know, and, it, and the imagery is fabulous, you know, and even editing, you know, with desktop editing, Final Cut Pros or these different tech things that you can do. So anybody can just do that. The interesting thing is, is that I think it's brought a lot of other people into uh, 
in the sport, I, I think it has our interest of recording their experiences, if you understand what I mean. And you see that with the YouTube generation where you got all these kids bringing it, different people are coming into, into it. You can see what their passion is and the things that they do and they're, they're different, you know what I mean? To me, and actually, it's, I think it's brought a lot of, uh, a lot more interest in, in youth into the sport, which is, which is sort of interesting to me. You know, which was hard to do because, you know, for years we were concerned that we were actually losing, bringing new people in, the youth into it. And in more recent years, there's been a big explosion with youth into the, uh, you know, fishing is cool again, you know what I mean? Which it should be, you know, <laughs> fishing is sort of cool, you know what I mean? No, I, yeah. I totally agree with that. And, you know, you could talk about YouTube, you could talk about uh just the youth and the youth to me is one of the most important things because without them, especially being a manufacturer, we need the youth involved. One of the other neat aspects that I've seen is this high school bass leagues that they're doing that I think alone has really changed the game as well. Oh yeah, it is. And now one thing we have to really be sort of watchful on actually one of my uh, team um, bass tournament uh, partners he's on the code for the wise at a team and i actually get a chance to speak up here actually we got the brainer jason Barr, and then I, we got another guy's out in uh, pillager and then we got the pequot lakes teams and we so we actually have in the brainer area we actually have three different schools here and they actually i don't even know i think what we're if you are to calculate the number of kids participating in the fishing teams it's actually more than a lot of the different any of the ball sports at all I mean, it dramatically more. I mean, there's like 200 something kids. It's 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 really 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 big. big. I mean, he they've done a tremendous job of it. Grow that portion of it, and they do a lot of uh, tournament fishing, bass you know bass fishing. And I know some of them, like the pillager, are more multi species. And I think it, it's good good to you know where they there's a lot of big push on tournament fishing with the youth, which to a degree is good, but you know, because of the competitive aspect of it, but there's also the other aspect of it that's really important too. It's the science and the fish and, you know, the stewardship that has to be associated with bringing these new people in with the kids and their responsibility, their responsibility to maintain these waters. You know, it's not all about just, you know, the, everybody, you know, a lot of these kids see it as like being the Kevin Van Dammers or the Mike Iaconelli's or this or that, you know, and to me that that can be a portion of it, but it's really only a small portion of what it's about, if you understand what I'm saying. That's the thing to me that when I look at when I look at it, that that I really not think that's not what fishing is just all about, about entangling ethics. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's it's associated with, you know, to train our uh, youth correctly in angling etiquette you know what i mean that's where even like my partner he fishes with these teams and you know a lot of the even the parents have to be trained because a lot of they're bringing the kids and then they're bringing parents in who are not really that knowledgeable about tournament fishing or angling ethics at all they think it's like a ball sport and you know what i mean there's things that i don't i don't want to down uh, down it but it's got to be done cor- correctly. The unwritten rules of angling ethics. Well, we should write the angling ethics rules. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's all different things. You know what I mean? But, but it's good. It's good. It's, it's good to see. It's, it's fun to do. And I actually get a chance to fish with a bunch of them. I do. I work with them. You know, I go over and speak at the, every year to all three of these clubs. You know, I bring in and we work on different projects. 
on different techniques and different things were this last one I was over in Pelletier and I did a, we did a whole piece on swim baiting. So I bought, I brought in all these jigs, just big piles of swim baits and all these soft plastics and they built baits. They haven't been back there to see how we did because each one of them, then I thought went into depth about how to fish a different swim baits and how they can be utilized. That's, that's great stuff. You know, the neat thing about the, the sport of fishing is, is that, uh, you know, it's something that these youth can take the rest of their life, you know, and, and okay, you play football, well, maybe you make it to college, maybe you don't, maybe you make it to the NFL, but, you know, at baseball, same kind of thing. And then there's old timer baseball leagues and what have you, but, you know, fishing is a pure sport that you can enjoy from the time you're a tiny little kid to, you know, 80 years old. So I, well, I did it for, I did it for years. I actually coached, uh, for I had three children, and I actually coached baseball for years from uh, when they were a Bronco League to uh, a Legion ball, which I really, really enjoyed. I uh, coached my daughters in tennis to a degree and then downhill skiing racing and did that for, for a number of years. And that's one thing that the only thing that they Jay skis a little bit, but all the kids that they did all that stuff. And as soon as they walked out of uh, high school, they never did it again you know which is sort of unfortunate you know and you put so much time and breath and effort into it and then you walk out of it and they never they never did anything with it and that was sort of interesting because my son did that for baseball for years and then he still went to school to NDSU and then he started the uh the college fishing team up there <laughs> so I, I did that with his boys out of college which is really sort of funny he started the uh, college uh, fishing team up there so it's just sort of interesting you know, it's, it's wild how it revolves, right? Yeah, it, it is. Well, yeah, I mean, he was a really good baseball player, but if, if he won school like that, you know what I mean? You got, you know, your walk on, if you weren't recruited, you know, you got, you know, five, five in the outfield, five in, the, you know, in the infield, five at bats. And that's what, you, that's what it is. You didn't make it, make the grade. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Dad, I'm going to start a college fishing team. Can you help me? Okay. <laughs> what do we have to do? You know, but, that's awesome. That's really, that's cool. I'm thinking if there you was know. a college fishing team back when I was in college, I probably would have hung out there a lot, a lot longer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The opportunities yeah. these kids have now to get into angling is, you know, I don't, I don't want to say we, we're limited, but they have definitely more resources to it now because it's focused now. You know, we we realized that we were losing youth into the sport of fishing. So now it's more of a of a thing that's pushed versus before. It was like if your grandparents didn't fish or your dad didn't fish, then you didn't fish. But, yeah, you know, exactly. but most yeah. of those people did it, you know, in, back in the day. That was just the thing. People wanted to go to northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin on vacation. Now Nowadays, that's not that's not where kids want to go. So it's a re refocused effort to try to get kids into angling. And that's good for everybody. Well, It's not only the kid. It's a, the interesting thing is, as we were talking about, even at the high school level and it's where these fishing clubs, what it has brought in, it's actually because the kids are interested in it. And then what it is, it's actually brought their parents into it. That may not have fish because they want to be part of their kids interests. So realistically, it's sort of interesting. I just read something uh, recently about that of uh, how there's been a pretty dramatic uptick in the uh, participation, you know, on national, this nationally, which is interesting to me. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's, and it's uh, directly attributed to this youth because a lot of it, it's, it, I forgot what the numbers were, but they're really pretty dramatic numbers between, you know, 
like 12 and 15 or 18 years old, the number of kids is, is or not number of uh, people coming in to participate in the sport. And Think they, about they, it, though. What, you don't have to be a super athlete to be a really good fisherman. You know what I mean? Where some of these other sports, depending on the school that you're in, you don't get to play unless you're in the top echelon. I like that, Sherry. Yeah, the, 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 the truth is, yeah, exactly. You don't have to be. And the, well, the other thing is, is, only a limited number of people play at any right. one given point in time. With fishing, everybody's fish. everybody's in the game. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? And they're all everybody. Equal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brad, I think what she was saying there is, fat guys like me and you still get to play in fishing, so we're lucky. We're lucky we have it, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, there's maybe some truth to that too. But one thing that I think is also really a big part of it today, and a lot of people don't realize when you look in the big picture and why we may be seeing it's actually because of the anger, the technologies we have have really helped anglers because it's easier to find fish. Before we had uh, one of the biggest things in angling that probably does not get credit where credit's due and how it's changed fishing today is mapping GPS and just specifically high-end mapping programs because it, with a cursory knowledge of uh, seasonal movements of fish that it's so much easier to pattern fish to figure out, oh, I'm catching fish off a deep weed line in the tip of a 15-foot point. And then you look on a map and they brought the price factor down well, if most people are getting into, you know, utilization, it's very easy to duplicate that pattern very, very easily. Years ago, before mapping in these uh, high-end mapping programs, you had to do this visually and be able to understand that with just like 2D sonar. And that wasn't that easy to transpose that knowledge. There, for people to understand how that lake is laid out, you'd have to go drive around a point. For example, you'd have to figure it out and follow the contour with today's day and age. Technology has just made it so much dynamically easier to go find fish and to duplicate a pattern. You know what I mean? I come, I come out to a lake, and you know, and I, I've never been on this lake before. Where, well, you know, I'm fishing for muskies, I'm fishing for bass, I'm fishing for walleye. Come out here in midsummer. Where are the fish at? They're on the largest underwater structures in this lake. I circle that point and I drive directly to it. You know what I mean? And I see the shape of it. You know, I mean, that's just like unbelievable technology once you utilize and how to use utilize that that technology. Then you add in these other things with 3D or uh, uh, side imaging and down imaging. Side imaging is just like another thing that's just added to your ability to see the underwater habitat. How the hat, not only the the cover on the ha- on the underwater structure you're looking at and how it's laid out and how fish would relate to it. It's just so much more visual. You know, and that's where today's day and age, and you're seeing it even in like all different, whether they be competitive or not. You know what I mean? You're, you know, fishing is just that's what's made fishing what it is today. You know what I mean? Because you're just a lot more successful because of that technology. So, one thing we didn't talk about as a topic, but since you brought that up with like mapping and side imaging and all that stuff, it kind of made me think for newer anglers, because there's a lot of them coming into the sport, at least I hope there's a lot of them coming into the sport. Like, let's just say you take uh, a brand new lake you've never been on. Can you kind of talk about what you would do as an angler to to get a start on that lake? Yep. You know, obviously all lakes are different, you know, and uh, there's, you know, there's some simple principles in angling, you know, and it's a lot of people, you know, individual fish are individual 
different fish. But realistically, almost uh, there's a lot of different, you know, I do all these seminars and I speak at for bass clubs, musky clubs, walleye seminars, in-store promotions. And when you look at there's there's three, you know a couple of really important pillars in angling that crosses geographical and species boundaries, and it's actually something that we promoted with in fishermen for years and years. No, 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 it's FLP, and what that means is first F means fish, understanding the nature of that fish species, its seasonal movements, its habitats, its preferred habitats, and its uh, uh, preferred forage. Secondly, is the utilization of your electronics to ultimately go find those on a daily, weekly, seasonal basis. The thing is, and then goes, then it boils down into the P, which is presentation, the experimentation with the lures in your tackle box to ultimately catch them. But when you look at almost all warm water species, make the exact same seasonal movements. In spring, after the ice leaves the lake, the fish move shallow. Most of those fish spawn in real, relatively specific areas. You know what I mean? Where bass are in the back bays, the northern uh, northern pike and muskies are the first ones in, or uh, northern pike, the walleyes are the first ones in. Then comes those smallmouth or the muskies, and then comes the you know the the panfish and the uh, the bass. You know, and then catfish are the last ones to spawn, but they move into shallow water and then throughout the summer after they're done spawning, they move out onto the big underwater structures in the lake. You can say, actually kick anybody in five minutes and say, isolate the largest underwater food shelves in the lake, the biggest points, the biggest flats, the biggest, uh, that's where the fish have to live because that's where the food is at. You know, aside from there is some suspended factor in there based on some lakes that actually have a lot of deep water forage. But so realistically, in summer, the fish are out on these main lake underwater structures, whether that be weed, rock, sand, wood, whatever's under uh, the cover that's in those lakes. And then in fall, in fall, once the water temperature starts to drop, they start draining off those flats. You look at those big flats, you see the sharpest drop-offs, the lead drops, they start dumping into the deep or cold water basins in those lakes where they overwinter. So realistically, what I'm saying is, in the big picture, it's relatively simple. You know what I mean? And with the mapping today, and you start putting those puzzles together, it's really easy to go to a new lake and find fish. It really is, because the fish are more or less the prisoners of the environment they live in. And so with, with today's mapping, I've never been on this lake, and that's what I have people come up all the time, and, you know, like my wife and friends, and different people say, well, where are we going to? I always I enjoy going to new lakes. And say, well, you've never been on this lake before. How are we going to do in this lake? Is we're going to do good, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you drive out and you just go find the first habit, first main lake underwater point at the biggest end of the structure, and they pull out there and we start catching bass immediately, throwing dead bricks. You know what I mean? It's that fast. Like, how did you know that? Well, it's just this is the way the fish move in these lakes, and it's not that hard. You know, it's you got the biggest thing is I think for anglers you got to go willing to go find them and to be willing to move around. You know, and that's one thing that. You know, the fish that you're following, every time you put your boat in the water, one of the biggest things that is to realize that those fish are moving seasonally every time. You mean they're moving, not a, you know, on a weekly, daily, and then the seasonal picture. So you are literally following these fish around the lake. You know what I mean? And once you find, get into a certain area, you're in like a large cloud or a school of fish are out there. And a lot of times, so many different people, whether it be smallmouth bass, muskies, walleyes, they, the best spots on the lake are the best spots. So the interesting thing is, is so many of these spots they actually have all the, these same species that are on the same spots because of the food. 
you know what I mean? They may feed at different times, but that's, that's the essence of it. The best spots are the best spots on the lake. You know, and they're very relatively easily to, to identify, you know. You know, I, I would totally agree with you, James, in the sense that uh, mapping was a huge change. And, and for me, you know, I'm old enough that everything that I learned, I mean, I remember when the Lawrence 350A came out, okay, and I had it in my boat. And I'm out there basically doing my own mapping by watching my sonar and then putting on little icons or, or waypoints and created this. And I'll never forget when I bought that first map and I went, wow, you know, I knew it was there, but now I could visually see it. Like you were saying for $150, everybody got the experience that I got by time on the water. And so it definitely did change things. So James, you know, we go from the map cards and sonar and, and uh, side imaging and mapping. And I mean, it's it's amazing. Where is the rest of the equipment kind of trending that you can see right now? Because, you know, you, you've got a unique opportunity where you get to see some of the R&D on the backside of this. Um, Carrie and I obviously do some R&D as well, but I think uh, your R&D department's a little bit broader in the sense that most of these companies want to work with you and get your opinions. Yeah, that's one thing, you know, and it's all over from uh, rod, reel, and lures. And I think just about in any different species, you know, everything has become so presentation-specific. The rod, reel, and line is designed to fish that bait. And it's from muskies, it's from bass, it's from panfish, it's from, you know what I mean? It's every different technique actually has a specific rod and reel designed, or I should say rod designed for that presentation. That just makes it just function so much better. You know, it's not only for the uh, casting the bait, it's retrieving the bait, hook setting, landing the, that fish, that, that those rods are sort of fine-tuned for that t- technique. And it's everything from flight line fishing for bluegills, and, you know, tungsten with three-pound test line through the ice to, you know, it's obviously throwing 80-pound test on throwing, you know, pounders, you know what I mean, through throwing musky, musky baits, and it's everything in between. And it's only going to keep on getting better and, and better and better, you know what I mean? And to me, it's, a, it's just stunning, you know, when you see all the advancements and how dramatically it's changed in, like, the last 15 years, what you Brad, but you guys have seen it within your lifetime, you know, I mean, how dramatically it's changing and it, the speed of it. When you look at it, uh, there's a lot of angling. Um, how do I say it? And, um, angling is really, really good these days. But the one thing that we do have to be cognizant of is the fact that is maintaining our fisheries to a degree because anglers are getting a lot better than we are. And you know what I mean? Our anglers are so much better that they put a tremendous amount of stress on our fisheries. Even this thing with when we were talking a little bit earlier about the, the youth is, you know, to be able to bring these more people into, into the sport is the maintenance of our lakes and the, the uh, maintaining of good fishing populations are fish fisheries uh, healthy. And it, it's not an easy thing. So it's not only <laughs> our angling technology with equipment it's actually done the science side of it to be able to, be able to maintain these lakes to, to be where they're at today today's day and age it's interesting to me because of just slot limits and stuff it's really uh, changed anglers ethics where a lot more people are 
you know, releasing fish, and but we have to release the right fish. In some some conditions, we should be taking fish out of our lakes. They'd be better, you know, in some cases to literally remove those things. So, it's it, it's a it's a angling is what it is. It's a very sort of complex sport. It, it really is. But one thing I can say: the quality of we fishing today is far better than it ever has been. You know what I mean? Because of all these different uh, things that we have available. You know, in the, even the, the transfer of information, you utilize, a, you know, when there's a hot bite going on somewhere, you see it instantaneously. You know what I mean? It happens, you know, are the muskies biting out in the western lakes? Well, then I see all these guys catching fish out there. I know the muskies are biting there because you could go on Facebook and they're catching them right now. You know what I mean? So obviously that all of a sudden you see like a big number of people go there and it's instantaneously that the speed of information transmission can put more pressure on those fisheries. If you understand what I'm saying, it, it, is that, it, it's not convoluted, but I mean, it, it, it just goes to show you how, I mean, how it's changing fishing today. You know what I mean? For sure. You, we, we see that actually a lot here. Um, and we've played with testing that theory quite a bit too on how fast you can change how many people on, are on a body of water. It's pretty oh. fast nowadays. Oh, it, it's, unbel- it's, uh, un- it's unbelievable. It really is. It, it really is. Yeah. I did this piece I was over shooting. Um, I was over fishing for brown trout over in Milwaukee Harbor. And Eric Hottie comes up and he's fishing a like, distance down from me. He comes up and he does a live, one of those live things that he does on like Facebook Live. By the time it was done, by the end of the day, 110,000 people had watched that. By the time the piece was done, by the time I got done landing a brown trout, about a 20-pound brown trout, there was like 1,000 people watching and commenting it live. Can you imagine that? That is, it's just like, it's like, I looked at, when I looked at the numbers, I was like, stunned. You know, I was like, Really? Yeah, it is all these people that are I'm actually they're actually asking questions while we're planting this fish. It's like, wow, you know what I mean? It, to me, crazy. that's just like, it, it, isn't it crazy? It is. It's really crazy. Yeah. So back to your your comments on the catch and release. In the muskie world, everyone's pretty much pretty pro catch and release. I mean, that's been preached for as long as I've muskie fished. And longer, but how do we get that? How do we educate people on the benefits of that in other species so that all around the fishing is good? That's, and a, a, that's a really big, big one, Carrie. That's a really big one, particularly like we actually just did some different pieces on that exact topic. It's particularly for our panfish in ice fishing because a lot of times you have a fish in the barrel, you have large populations of fish in really small areas. And, uh, the fish can be really easily over harvested. And that's where people have to realize that you should, you know, is it really necessary to, you know, in many of our states, like in Minnesota, we're actually pretty uh, forward as far as our, uh, they're doing a lot of uh, experimentation slot limits in different special reg lakes. They actually, two of the people in my office work on the Department of Natural Resources on the various roundtables. One, Michael Hainer works on the Panfish Board, and Jeremy Smith works well with the muskies. They're doing that more and more, but in a lot of the states in, uh, across the mid, the Midwest, the, the panfish regulations are way, way too astron- extraordinarily high. They're still at 25 or, you know what I mean? In some cases, it's just like craziness, and they wonder why their fisheries are poor 
is because you have to. It's and it's back to what we we're talking about. It's just the technology today and the ability to. It's very easy, easy to over harvest these fish because you have all the entire populations that go into a small lake and it's five hundred acre lake. And realistically, there's one thirty foot hole in there. All the walleyes or all the crappies and bluegills are in a, an area you know that's you know two hundred acre area. So I can go in there and literally you get the wrong group of people there and then you can, you know, obviously you can really damage that lake in an extraordinarily short period of time, which is a scary thing with our technology. And that's where we have to train angling ethics and uh, angling etiquette. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with keeping fish. I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form. It's just the fact that it, we have to real to maintain these fisheries. We have to be really cognizant on, on the harvest aspect of it. And it's not only harvest for, you know, the side structure of the fish. You want trophies, you know. I mean, that's one thing that's really big, and it's more of an educational process that's ongoing. You know, right. understanding this. It's even like Jeremy and I just did a piece on barrel trauma, and a lot of people don't realize this. What I mean by barrel trauma is like you're catching these crappies that are in the deep water basins. If you're catching them any deeper than probably about twenty-five to 30, 30 foot of water. You can't go catch and release a whole bunch of these fish. Right. That's just right. not a, a good thing because those fish are not going to make it. You know what I mean? No, You're better off to go there and to harvest your five fish and then go somewhere else and fish some, you know what I mean? Go do something, you know what I mean? To go with right. a, a different thing. You can't just keep the, on, you know. They don't, but, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe people don't realize when you catch them in such deep water, it's no different than being a diver. They need to take their time and decompress they just don't survive well you can't even a lot of people think that if you reel them up really slow you, you can uh, let them go but that it takes too long for the fish to metabolize they would never uh, be able to take that pressure change it'd take three uh, it'd take three hours to do it from right. 35 foot of water if you could bring up crappie up from that depth of water you know what i mean but the right. the Anglers just have to be a lot more cognizant these days about how they're, you know, how we're dealing with our fisheries. So, you know, and, it, and that's a personal thing too. You know what I mean? It's not just because of the state laws. You know what I mean? It, it, it is what it is, but it's also angling ethics and just catch and release things because so many people do that today. You know, and that's that's I, a really big thing. No, uh, a lot of people don't don't realize that. Uh, you, Gil Hammond, that whole thing with you know with the musky catch and release, that was actually one of the first catch and release. That actually, was really not instigated or propagated through the uh, musky fishing. That's what actually was one of the first ones that had uh, really promoted that. I think he had tr trout, but I think musky, which he really popularized that. You know, what I mean, at that point in time, you know, like all the bass tournaments were still they were kill tournaments. Those BA early BASS tournaments, they always fishing those. They would kill all the fish at those events. You know what I mean? And that actually, that was about at the same time when Gilham actually really started uh, pushing the whole concept of uh, catch and release for muskies. And you can see what it is. It, you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago where they used to, you know, harvest those those bigger fish, those 50 inches, you know, or hurt those fisheries. It wasn't that long ago. I remember when, you know, on Latsul and those different lakes, when those guys were taking those fish out of those lakes. You know what I mean? And it didn't take long before those populations, because they're the low density uh, fish, that you take those fish out of there, they're going to go on in short order. You know what I mean? And that's uh, and the thing is, we're seeing now, I think that's why we're seeing so many bigger fish now than we've ever seen before. Not only that, we're fishing with lures that actually 
get the attention of those bigger fish too. And it's because of our equipment for the ability to throw those bigger profile baits. You know what I mean? To throw bait, those big spinner baits, those big soft baits and different things that would be, uh, you know, be interesting to really target, you know, a 50 pound fish, you know, and they'd be interesting. A lot of times, you know, I mean, if you're throwing a small bait, you're just not really throwing a, a presentation that would be really it's preferred forage in any way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? Those fish are eating, average eating, they're eating something that weighs a pound and a half. Or, you know, any two pounds is, would be a relatively easy thing for them to bite on, if not larger. You know, and that's the truth. That's why I think we've been seeing so many more big muskies in our, our like, full of, aside from the stocking. But I think we're also fishing with larger profile baits, and that's why you're seeing them, to, to me anyway. So kind of, uh, changing the topic here, James, what keeps driving your passion? I, I think it's interesting. When did you decide that you really wanted to do this for yourself? And then second, what keeps your passion and that drive going forward? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's really a good, you know, a lot of people uh, don't realize, I actually really garnered my passion for fishing. I actually started guiding when I was quite young. I started guiding at Gull Lake when I was about 14 years old. We had a small wood boat in our front yard. I used to drive over to the local resorts, Madden's and uh, Cragen's. These are large resorts that were close by. And I would uh, take people out fishing. And they'd be really, yeah, they, and they'd, they'd be always sort of weird because I'd fish with some old guys. And they'd look at me, what does this kid know about <laughs> fishing that I'd show them? They'd go, yeah, this is pretty good. <laughs> but, but actually, when I, I went to college for a number of my college years, I actually was blessed in the fact that I actually got to work at a flying fishing camp for four years and it was fabulous in the fact that I actually saved month, enough money to go to school. I didn't spend it. And I worked in there for about 90 days. I just worked nonstop. And that's where I really, um, how did I say it? Where you really, it's the outdoors and just being the hunt in the whole fishing thing. I really fell in love with the sport, you know, and then from there, obviously I started getting, you know, I actually started working in the industry. Once I got, got out of college, you know, once, the school was a graphics design major in biology, which seems like a weird combination. But at that point in time, because we owned in Fisherman Magazine, it would make a lot of sense, <laughs> you know. What it, but but from there, right? You know, and I mean, the fun thing about angling for me personally is you keep on learning. You really, really do. I mean, every time I go out in the water, you learn more and more and more. You know what I mean? And it's ever changing and it's bringing in this new technology and sharing knowledge base with other anglers. It's always sort of intriguing. Even, you know, it's, it's really sort of satisfying, personally satisfying, you know, because so many different people come up, you know, I get a chance to speak and they come up and thanks a lot for, you know, all the different things that you've done for the sport of, you know, to the fishing world, or not the sport of fishing, but for them personally, that, you know, that really works. This thing, you can't believe the way, you know what I'm saying? I know. And that, that's what makes it, makes it fun. It, it really does. And I, I still enjoy it today as much as I did years ago. Actually, I got, just came back from a trip over in uh, Saginaw Bay, Michigan. I sent Brad some, a couple of shots of big flathead catfish. A buddy of mine had uh, told me that he's got this, you know, big walleye bite on the Saginaw River over there. And I drive over there, of course, they got 10 inches of snow and then they got some rain and then the water temperature dropped about 10 degrees. And then guess what? The walleye bite disappeared. But I, I actually, he says, I catch it. You know, occasionally I get really big uh catfish here and so i brought my catfish rods over there and then 
what we did is we ended up vertical fishing with cut bait in deep water log jams in where these fish were wintering. And we ended up catching, I think we caught seven and I snagged three and then we lost four others catching these giant flathead catfish. And these are fish are from like 25 to 45 pounds out of the trees, vertical fishing in cold water. You know, it's something that I, I've never done. He never did it before. I, I've done it intermittently at different points of time, but it's one of those things that, you know, I didn't have to go with Brad. I was telling you, I really, I've never caught that many big flathead catfish specifically in that type of situation, you know what I mean? And so I really learned something about it. Actually, I wanted to go back and do it more to experiment with some alternate things to be trying big set because I think you could probably catch a, a fish on big swim bait. You know, you just got to get it close enough to them. You know, you could vertical jig them with swim baits versus you using live bait or cut bait, which was, you know what I mean, which would be very interesting to me. It was fun, boy. It was really, really fun, fun to do. That's one one thing I always love is, is the, the learning different techniques and different experiences in different spots. You know what I mean? Up in the North Country, up here, we have so many different bodies of waters to fish, you know, in between us and where you guys are at, I well, I don't know how many thousands of lakes, but we're we're working on cup fishing them all at some point in time, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of never ending battle, but it's a it's a great goal. Yeah, it, it really it really is. I actually Al and I we're gonna actually we're gonna go start like Minnesota and just start circling all the lakes we fished. We fished a lot of them. I don't even know how many thousands and thousands thousands of them, you know. That's amazing. Uh, I, I guess a question branched off of that comment. Um, how often are I'm you I'm sorry, I'm wandering all over the all over the no. board. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, we, I'm sorry. Yeah, we we tend to do that. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it it brings a lot of different information, and, and it's basically a conversation. I, I love it. I have a question. You know, when you're on the water, say you stop at a gas station on your way for the fishing trip of the day. You're yep. probably recognized quite often, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. Does that, how does that affect your day? You know, I mean, I, I know you guys, it's a business and you guys are trying to do things. And I know you guys are always cordial to everybody, but, you know, at times it's got to be somewhat of a nuisance as well. No, 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 it never is. No, not, not at all. Actually, that, that, <laughs> it makes it, it worthwhile all you, the work you're doing. It makes yeah. it worthwhile. It's how do you say that? Because actually, when we were doing that flathead piece out in Saginaw Bay, Michigan, I actually had like four guys pulled up to me because they noticed who I was in the, my boat. Pulled up and they started talking. It's well, you missed the bite. The, the walleye bite was like four days ago. They're not biting anymore. And I just started laughing. But then I had some discussion with them what we're doing. And I got on the catfish bite. They're looking at me. It's like, wow. That sound kind of looks fun. You know, a couple of guys pulled by when we're landing and taking pictures of these fish and goes, whoa, you know what I mean? But it, no, to me, not a, not at all. That was, no, it, that actually, Brad, is almost complete reverse. It actually justifies what you're doing and all the effort that you're doing, you know, or it's 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 a good thing, you know what I mean? It, it shows you what you're doing is, is working. I figured that's how you were going to answer it, but I, I thought it would be a, a question that... Uh that somebody might want to hear, you know, because it, it's a challenge you, enough to be out there angling, but that's exactly what it is too, Jim. I mean, you want to know what you're doing is working, you know, it's yeah, no different than this podcast. You know, we want to, we want to get stuff out there that people are looking for. You wouldn't even believe it. Every time I get a chance to go do these seminars throughout the course of a year, 
at the uh, seminars, inevitably, after the seminar, I will talk to a number of different people and go into some detail on some topic. But the interesting thing is, infirm, if you, the biggest thing is, is angling is actually so much of shared knowledge and shared in apl- applying it. The interesting thing is, is, when I speak to these people, almost every time I learn more from them. Aside from the thing that I'm telling them, they're giving me, telling me about their experiences, what they're doing in different situations and what, you know, what this and that. And, and it's interesting. And it's not only a locational thing, it's a presentation thing, a different uh, uh, aspect, some aspect of angling that I learned from them. And that's what angling is about. It, it is. It's a really uh, a shared knowledge. And then the biggest thing is for anglers, different, different people to apply it to their fishing situations because you can do this different, some editorial content or a topic, but they have to take that content and then, or that topic or presentation and apply it to their fishing situation. And it's not exactly the same one that I have. They have to tweak it and modify it for the situation they're fishing. And that's what makes you a really, really good angler and your ability to do that. And I, I have that because I actually have the, that fish for so many different species of fish, it's very easy for me to transpose an idea, a concept, a, a technique. This one, that the, I, I'll share one with you from just musky fishing. Do you want me to share this? It's, it's something that I've been sort of experimenting with. And actually, we were just up on Black Soul earlier this week. I've been messing around with this for a couple of years. And yeah, please, please share it. What? I said, <laughs> well, I said please, you'll, please You'll share. like it, and maybe you won't like it. But it's it's like, you know, I started looking at it in Troy and I, and we've been messing around with like swim baits for muskies. And obviously you get, you know, you have uh, swimming dogs and, you know what I mean? There's a variety of different, uh, you know, shadzillas and all those different baits. And immediately when everybody picks those up, you start throwing them, like you throw it like a medusa or a pounder. You swim, same sort of general retreat, correct? A big sweeping retreat, slack line, you know, ripping in, in that type of thing. Well, I started thinking about it. Says, well, what's the best musky lure ever made? Well, aside from a cowgirl, <laughs> yeah, a small a spinner, a small, a small spinner, a small, you know, a moderate size spinner bait. You can cast it forty five feet apart, reel it in as fast as possible, and ultimately, you try to not finesse fish musky, get a fish to bite. You put it in front of a fish that wants to bite. You know, I mean, that's the, you know. The, the mainstream way to catch a monkey. But what I started doing this last year, I actually started screwing around with it and I was really successful. And what I just started to do is take a one ounce head, jig head, boxer jig head, take a seven inch swim bait, put a treble hook on it. And I fish a swim bait, not a big swim bait, a smaller swim bait, and fish it just like a spinner bait. Directional changes, it tracks, figure eights look perfectly. Positive hooking. It's the easiest bait in the world to reel in. Maybe I'm just giving you some different ideas on some different things, but you just reel the bait on a straight retreat, and you can't, I can't believe it how you know it's really effective to fish that bait in that way. And it's, I'm taking the small now the breath. You, I'm fishing a smaller bait. It's a seven or eight inch bait, not a big profile bait. It's a smaller bait and just retrieving it straight tracking, but high speed retrieve. And fishing it on like more of a downsizer rod. You know what I mean? It sounds like you're probably fishing something similar to our hinge bait. Basically what we did is we created, and I don't know if you've seen this, James, it's been a couple of years, but, and we really haven't pushed it a ton, but we developed a a long arms uh, spinner bait, safety pin style spinner bait. 
And the reason yeah. we called it the hinge is, you, you know how you have premature breakage at the lead head? Yeah. What we did is we put a split ring from the jig head to a swim bait to that long-armed safety pin. And what that yeah. allows is, I mean, it allows a lot more action. There's tons of vibration. I don't know. If you're ever interested in throwing some, I'll, I'll get you a few. So it I definitely, it's easy retrieve. It's way more comfortable to fish with, and the fish can't resist it. And it's a bigger profile, even though we have both a six and then an eight inch uh, shad bodies on them. You know, being that that safety pin style, it, it presents as a larger bait, but it's so easy to retrieve. And what's that called? The hinge? The hinge, correct. Oh, I'm actually online. Really? <laughs> 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 Gosh, I gotta, I, yeah, I gotta, huh? I gotta find that. I like the sound of that. I think you know what I mean. One thing with monkey fishing today I mean, is showing them as what you guys have been doing. You keep on expanding the size, uh, or some, not expanding and shrinking the size of the bait to showing those fish different, different lures. You know what I mean? Because so many of these fish have been caught before. You know what I mean? And after they've been caught a number of different times, yet. Um, they become sort of not, I don't know if they're, you know, jaded to those, to those baits or not. That's why, you know, your color spectrum is so fabulous. You know, it, it, you see, see it. it to me, it's an, it's amazing. That's an amazing thing. I mean, how musky fishing, when you look at the, the selection of baits that exist in the, in musky fishing world today, it's like fascinating. Yeah. Oh, I like the hinge. It, oh yeah. It, it's very, it's very interesting, James. And I, you know, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about a lot is there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, the cowgirl doesn't work anymore. The cowgirl doesn't work anymore. The fish have all seen it. But I, with people saying that, I've switched back and I'm using the cowgirl more today. And the reason I'm using it is nobody else is. Oh, is that, is I, is that right? It's still today. I mean, we just, yeah, I did, it, yeah, yeah, that's in it. It's in. With that being said, I mean, I, it's still my number one go-to bait. It's really amazing how many fish I've caught on that. And I, I don't know, I'm not trying to toot our own horn here by any means, but I, I've, <laughs> it's, it's funny to me because, you know, as well as I do, there's new fish in these systems, you know, with our stocking programs and what have you. So you have that change as well. And uh, not all fish have seen it. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But you still see, you're seeing, there's still certain attributes of the musky fishing that is, uh, uh, that still is, is key. You know what I mean? It, it really is. You know, we're obviously just the nature of the, the baits you're making, just the speed factor, the color things, you know, to trigger those big predators in the feeding. I mean, you're getting, that's what you're doing. You know what I mean? And then from there, you're changing different, you know, relative size, speed, different things. Correct. That, out what those fish will, given fish will bite on. And to me, it's one thing that's so weird about muskies is how some subtlety in the presentation can make a really big difference. And I've never understood that, how that can be so dynamic, even color. You know, when you look at your, your baits, you know what I mean? You, you look at, you know, you're fishing up on Bemidji, and you know, if you're going on that lake and you say, I don't even, you got 25 different bucktail colors, more whatever that is. But if you're up there, you want to throw chartreuse blades on the blue, blue with blue, 
You know what I mean? And that's what those fish bite on. And if you're not throwing that spinnerbait, you are not catching that many of them. And if so, how in the world could those fish, like all the fish, know that? Or somehow, why would they bite that? It's just—it's absolutely—it's like fast. It's absolutely fascinating. If you could ever figure it out, whatever that is, that's what the the weird thing is. You know, especially with those big top of the line predators like that. You know, I mean, it's something really you know different about about those fish. That's really intriguing. You know. Hands down. That's what drives the muskie fishermen insane. <laughs> because it keep drives, you know, are they hit diving or eyes, top water, this, that, blade, this, that, you know, and you, you go through this uh, cycle and then all of a sudden you figure out one bait and it's just like, wow, that it's just, you know, to me, I, I just, it, it drives you insane. That's why I keep on, well, it's good for you guys because we keep on buying more baits. <laughs> I, I got. I keep on expanding my. Now I, I got a, a case I can't even carry this thing any. Well, it's not. It's five, but five. But I don't even know how many. It did. There's so many baits that it's, it's just impossible to deal with. <laughs> it, it really is, and I keep on buying more. <laughs> uh, I, Jeremy I, and I, we end up going to these shows, and the one thing that we do is between Jeremy Smith and I, you know, Jeremy's a real monster. That whenever he goes. And he goes to some show, or then he finds a bait, and he'll end up buying me a couple too. You know, so we keep on expanding our depth of our musky bait. <laughs> oh, it, it can be a sickness, can it? <laughs> it, it no, it, it, it really, it really, it really is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I know. I, I said, I think Doug Wagner did this piece recently on, on musky bait storage in his basement, which was sort of interesting. Get the whole the whole walls are just racks of my you know it's like walking into Thorn Brothers it's like holy mackerel yeah this is my bait supply yeah, it's like wow you know that's no, amazing that whole sickness turned into a whole business for me Brad <laughs> yep it, 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 it did yeah it did a good one yeah it's actually been good yeah. for my sickness though because now I can still just buy lots of baits come up with lots of cool colors and I don't have to put every single one of them in my tackle box I can just see them, check them out. They're all here at the shop and then I can just send them off to other people. So it's actually been good for, for my addiction that way. Yeah. Do you guys say, I, I can ask, can I ask you a question? Sure. How about doing with these colors? Is, is this co- the colors? How, how, how is that when you come out with these new colors? Matt? Like with the plastics, how's, how's that been rolling? That's got, got to be really good. When I look, you keep on looking at these new, new ones. I'm like, holy mackerel, boy, those, they're just beautiful. I mean, some of the, the color spectrums that, that you've got coming out or the, the ability to, to make those uh, color patterns. Well, a lot of that stuff, since we don't really manufacture any of it, we just have, you know, the, the manufacturers do it. But like, you know, giving credit to the manufacturers, the abilities, what they can do these days with paint on plastics and different color combinations and holographics in the plastics and all the different uh, abilities and changes they can make, it's pretty incredible it's a really good time to be a musky angler just based off of the just i said the different options for you to get flash out of a plastic bait uh 10 years ago would have never happened and now you know with either the different plastics they can pour into them or the holographic tape they can put into it with a clear plastic on it and then paint over it the options are pretty much endless and that's why we have 58 colors of bulldogs right now is because the, the options are endless and then every year they come out with something new that they can do to the plastic and so we oh we got to do that now too so 
it's pretty crazy. Brad Rue's got himself a good gig that way. And I know, you know, yeah. chaos tackle, chaos tackle is similar that way too, as far as what they all can do, because like I said, the, the options these days are just endless and mind blowing almost based on what you can see that the detail you never saw in a plastic bait until, like I said, probably the last 10 years you used to only see in hard baits. And, you know, even, I mean, I'm sure you pay attention to it, the, the changes they've done in hard baits these days too, as far as details and fins and layering and all that stuff it's just the whole the whole industry is just taking it to another level yeah it uh, does and that's a, and even the cost factor to go buy buy those buy those baits i mean it's, it's unbelievable i saw something that was really interesting to me and uh, you'll find it and you probably know this you know jason hammering it and jason started guiding down in florida and i had just a buddy who was just down there with him chip porter and he was just down with jason and I said, well, what were you catching your tarpon on? Well, whale tails and musky crankbait. He says, we are musky fishing for tarpon. I spent years throughout the Keys. I fished with them, some of the best guys from Jose Wahabe to, to all those different, Steve Rogers and all those all those guys, all up and down. These are the who's who of tarp, tarpon guides in the Keys. None of those guys would even think about throwing those baits for tarpon. Now, Jason Hambernick goes down there and he says, no, well, they're biting my mullet. Well, they should be throwing that. So we just pull up our musky rods and pull out our baits and start chunking for them. And that's what he's catching them on. And to me, that, that, that is so cool to me. I just, I, 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 I looked at that because I know I fished down there. None of those guys would ever do that. They don't, they don't throw those baits for those guys. You know what I mean? Jason, he's I a musky fisherman. Up here, all of a sudden, goes down there. No, this is what they're gonna. This is what they bite on. He's been smoking them. This is what he does. You know, you're you're exactly right, James. I mean, I know quite a few of those people down there as well. And if they're being honest, he has changed the game. There's no doubt about it. With uh, with the whole tarpon gig, <laughs> he's opened a lot of eyes. I know. I we, we went down there. I it was always fascinating to me uh, when I was down there in. You know, I said, don't you guys throw these bigger? No, no, we do this. And they throw their little, they throw these little small baits at them and different things. It's like, okay, this is the way you catch them, you know. But to me, I see, I see that's what I mean. That's an quick crossroads. It really is. And it's sort of really cool to me that how, you know, some guide from up there comes up down, down there with technique. And all of a sudden, this is what you're doing here. You know, and that works really fabulously. You know what I mean? And we have lots of different uh, techniques that would cross over and be using in different areas. Even like we, you know, the big thing in angling today is, is like jigging wraps. Nobody in Mid South are using these baits. I would go down there and, and you go down jigging wraps in those Mid South reservoirs. You can't even believe how many fish you catch on them. And I don't think any very, very, very few people actually fish them down there which is sort of, you know what I mean? It's one of those things. That, that's what I mean. There's so much to learn about angling. It is, you know, years ago, it was sort of more very regional, but today's day and age, because you can see how this, it's a lot easier and malleable how they change it uh, to bring in different techniques and uh, applications or presentations to a, a specific type of fishing situation. I know I want to go down with Jason on the Muskie Road Rodeo. I think we got three, there's more boys heading in that direction. <laughs> the tarpon, the Muskie Tarpon Rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's probably <laughs> a lot of truth to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know lots I of musky guys that scratch their itch on uh, big fish by heading south during the 
during you know February, March, April to go chase tarpon because, like you said, they get to throw musky gear for big fish. Oh yeah, yeah. I even got a chance to go some. I know some of those uh, that eastern fisheries are pretty good. I know Lee Talkin was uh, down there on some of those uh, some of some reservoirs down there. And what is it in? Is it in the Carolinas or West Virginia or somewhere? He said it was really fun. I, I even I even gotten a chance to go fish those waters. Actually, when I was going over to the Detroit River, I actually was trying to figure out over on to go to uh, or to, to go to the Detroit River muskie fishing to do the you know, the, and uh, the bite wasn't happening that well that well. So I just went to the catfish rodeo, <laughs> which is sort of interesting. So you got to take advantage of what the bite is. <laughs> yeah, because as I called up Lee, he says, I've been here for three days. I haven't caught a fish or saw a fish. I said, well, maybe I'm not going there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's gotten any better in the recent weeks here. I sort of wanted to get back over there. Well, uh, that, that's, I think, musky anglers, for sure, in my opinion, um, we're pretty dedicated to that fish. And a lot of times, we were talking about it before we started recording, you know, mm-hmm. We don't celebrate the big walleye that you get on your musky rod. You don't celebrate the big bass, or at least some of us don't. And it, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, it's just cool to handle big fish. And musky fishing sometimes offers that. Oh, no, not even a not even a question about about that. You actually catch quite a few. You know, at the right time, you actually it's it's sort of interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, it goes to show you that actually you can be fishing with larger profile baits, <laughs> especially for like smallmouths and different things. I mean, you know, all of a sudden when those fish get on those, it's, it's sort of amazing. You know, yeah, we were up on Laxol and throwing, throwing blades, and you wouldn't believe how many big smallmouths you're catching. I didn't even realize how many big smallmouths were in that system in Laxol, and their fish are all over the entire system. It's like, wow. Then we started fishing them. <laughs> we actually—it's really pretty good, really good smallmouth bass fishery. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the summer, early summer. We were fishing up in Hayward. We were doing some filming for YouTube stuff, and I get a probably a twenty-seven, twenty-eight inch walleye and a nine-inch bobby bait just hit me at the boat, kind of like a muskie. And you know, Brad talking about how we don't always celebrate that. Me and Steve Jensen are standing there looking at each other, going, "Well, I suppose we should probably net it." But any walleye guy, any walleye guy would have been racing for his would net as fast right. as he yeah, could have. Exactly. <laughs> Look at that thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, when you're looking for when you're looking for thirty pounders, yeah, he doesn't seem so good, so big. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean that's a trophy in a lot of people's book, and here here we are, just you know, kind of looking at the side of the boat, going like, well, I suppose maybe we should go get a net. He kind of wanders over, you know, quickly and you know, gets the net and doesn't even unfold it all the way. And we're like, all right, that was pretty great. But, you know, if that was a 32-inch muskie, we would have raced a lot faster to it, even though, and that 32-inch muskie is not anywhere close to a trophy. No, no. They actually, yeah. You got to appreciate them all, though. Like, that's where they all have uh, their own sort of unique uh, unique uh, handling experience. There's no question about that. You know, that's what makes fishing what fishing is. Yeah, I like your I like your take though on it on always becoming learning more about fishing, and that's kind of why Brad and I started this podcast for one. But for you talking about how you go to these seminars and you learn stuff from the people that are you know coming up to you, it's kind of funny because I do similar stuff when we go do these shows throughout the course of the year. I always have my phone with me, and I'll have conversations with guys, and I'll literally get done having a conversation, and I'll start typing in notes into my phone because of stuff that you learn from the customers that just come up to you and talk to you about fishing. It's 
really a cool yeah. experience. It really, it really is. You wouldn't even believe it how much I've learned from uh, different people. You know, well, I'm doing this and doing that, and I'm listening to them, and I'm like, wow. I know, I, I did this whole seminar, and I probably learned more than <laughs> people in the seminar. <laughs> no, I should say that. They, no, but you understand what I mean. All of a sudden, I walked away, and I talked to five other people, and then they gave me some dissertation on some presentation or this technique or a location or a lake or something. You know, I, I'm just like, I come back and then I have to, I have to brief Jeremy and Al on what I got, what information I found, out. <laughs> 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 which actually it helps me because I ultimately would experiment with that, utilize some of that uh, thinking or whatever that is, and then actually put it into editorial content that we can uh, use. That's why I actually go do it. You know what I mean? Because you're constantly learning and that's why going to those seminars because you get the direct interaction with the, the consumer. And then you get the feedback of what's working, what doesn't, what isn't working. You know what I mean? Yep. You get a lot more of a, a real, tr- it's a truth. You sort of truth, truth what you're, what you're doing, you know, whether it's, it's good or bad or bad, you know what I mean? Yeah. That you brought up something that maybe we've never talked about, um, without trying to bring it up, actually, James, as, a as you were just saying, you were briefing Al and Jeremy and whoever else that's involved there. That's one thing that I think, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work with some really good guides and having that uh, team of people putting pieces to the puzzle together has definitely changed the game for us as well. You know, and and if you look at guides in a whole, you know, one of the neat things about guiding is, is that we get that daily experience every day and we're on fish pretty much every day because we're on the water every day. So the weekend guy comes up and he's got to put together all the pieces of the puzzle in two to three days versus somebody that's been on the water. But having that network of people that you're working with can be really huge. And I'm sure that helps you. Oh guys yeah, that is, that is, yeah, that's for ever. That's for, uh, yeah, that's uh, no question about that. Yeah, I know. That's one thing, even like musky fishing. To me, I'm always bad. You know, as much as you like to go out, fish, well, I'm going to go out today, today, where you could, for musky fishing, it's, I've always catch more fish. I've been fishing for multiple days. You know, you do, because it takes that long to figure out, number one, when the timing bite is, number two, what the what the, they're biting on. You know, the windows, the high percentage bite windows are happening, so you know, you're always better off to be multiple days and then yourself and you're sort of fine tuning yeah, what's it's, happening. And that's where you're blessed with the gui- guiding. Where you spend so much time on the water that you're all, you're constant. Not only that, then you're shifting with, you know, when the bite windows change because of weather and just environmental changes, you know, and, and you're sort of constantly sort of following what's going on. It gives you that sort of far better, uh, yeah, how to adjust to what's going on. Yeah, that's, you can't, that's like on the job training that you can't give that away. I mean, that that amount of time and effort on the water is just like, you know, how can you do, you can't do, you can't beat it. You really can't. And the success of those individuals that do that and have that time on the water is, yeah. All right. Well, James, I know you're a busy guy and we really appreciate you taking a lot of time out of your day already to uh, talk fishing with us. We'd love to have you back on at a different time. For people that are looking to find out more about, you know, everything that Linder Media Production does, check out the TV shows that you do. Do you want to give everybody a little bit of, you know, a direction where they can go, a website or, or what they can well, do or where they can find the TV? Our, 
Yeah, obviously you can go to our Lindner's Angling Edge website and it gives us the air times of our television shows, but you also have to go online. Uh, we have a, some new programming uh, specifically associated to ice fishing right now at anglingbuzz.com and you go see that and it's a ton of editorial content rolling out and that's what the boys are working on as we speak. They're going over show four is uh, rolling out the door, I think, Monday, which has uh, some fabulous and interesting. It's a real, a lot more of a viral show. It's a lot different than uh, the uh, our classic uh, angling edge pieces. It's a little bit of a different. Uh, my uh, son uh, Nick is really sort of spearheading that with uh, Jeremy, but it's uh, fabulous uh, uh, content and uh, interesting editorial content. Speaking of your son Nick, I believe he's involved in the um, Muskie Insider newsletter. Also, is that correct? Yeah, I think he is. Yes, he is. Yep. I know. See, we're working on all different things all, all over the board. I know. What do you think about that? Yeah, you guys I are... know. It never, never, you keep on growing, and uh, you sort of grow with the sport. Absolutely. You guys are definitely busy. There's no doubt. So, like I said, we appreciate yeah. you having we, – we appreciate you coming on, and we'll definitely look you up again as long as – and also some of the other, you know, team members that you have over there, too. I know you guys all have a lot of knowledge to offer us. Oh, no, no question about it. It was, it was a real pleasure, pleasurable, and we got uh, Al Lindner would be a, a great candidate for this piece, as well as Jer- Jeremy would be fabulous, too. He's always some sort of an interesting uh, information to talk to. He's got a lot of tremendous uh, knowledge on all different aspects of angling. Absolutely. So, Brad and Kerry, why don't you guys talk briefly about Musky Mayhem Tackle? I'll talk about Backlash Podcast and Team Rhino Outdoors, and then we'll let uh, James get on with his day because we know that we've taken up a lot of his valuable time. Well, I appreciate everything, James. It was a lot of fun discussing different topics with you. I'm Brad Hoppy and my wife, Carrie. Uh, we own Musky Mayhem Tackle, the original Flashaboo Big Bladed Baits. You can reach out to us through muskymayhemtackle.com or as well, our Instagram and Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you, and we appreciate our customers. You can check us out on YouTube, too. We should have some some videos coming out here shortly. I don't know, after the first of the year, maybe? We'll make that announcement through social media. But, uh, yes, we, we are in the process as well. Um, as the Linders are working on their editing, we're doing the same. And we got some pretty neat uh, pieces coming out this this uh, winter at some point. Speaking of editing, I should probably edit one for Team Rhino Outdoors. It's been a while since I actually put out a YouTube video. I have all this content sitting there, but you guys know what's been going on with me the last month. And I, I've been continuing to put out the podcast because I have you guys driving driving the force and driving the bus on the podcast. But I don't have anybody behind the scenes pushing me to get out YouTube videos. So I got to get back on the bus. It's only been, I think, four weeks since I put one out. I uh, apologize for anybody that's been looking for new YouTube content. It's coming. Trust me. In fact, I wanted to do it last week, but then my son had a buddy over and they were playing basketball in the driveway and I decided to go play with them instead. So that's why this last week I didn't get one out. But this Sunday, or it'll it'll actually have been last Sunday when you listen to this podcast, because when you listen to this podcast, it'll be December 18th, I believe. But um, if you're looking for Backlash Podcast, you found it once. Hopefully you can find it again. We have new content every single Wednesday morning i think it comes up at like 5 a.m you can find us on itunes spotify google play stitcher tune in radio overcast podbean those are the biggest ones if you want to get in touch with us backlashpodcast at gmail.com is where you want to go we also have a facebook page and instagram page for team rhino outdoors find us at teamrhinooutdoors.com we have a bunch of custom colors lots of custom colors 
And this year we added a bunch of stock colors, so you can find those too. We're a retailer in the musky world, and we ship daily. So if you're still looking for Christmas presents, when you hear this podcast, we can probably still get you something for Christmas. If you're looking for a gift card, you can find that through Musky Mayhem Tackle for their products, or you can find one through Team Rhino Outdoors for our products, and you guys can get those delivered right to your printer instantaneously. So if it's December 25th and you need need a present yet, check out muskymayhemtackle.com and buy a gift card to buy some cowgirls and showgirls and check out teamrhinooutdoors.com to find some stuff for us with team round outdoors again i talked about the youtube we do put out new content things have been a bit difficult lately so we'll get some stuff rolling out here and it'll just delay into normally we take a break in january until may this time we're just going to extend some content into the winter because we have a bunch of it backed up and you can find us on instagram facebook and twitter and i think that pretty much wraps up all the companies that i need to talk about Once again, James, we really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and talk to us about fishing. We can't thank you enough for for doing that. No, it's been my pleasure. No question about it. I thank you, Terry. Thank you, Brad. Definitely. It uh, It was a lot of fun, James, and I hope to do it again soon. All right. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to Backlash Podcast.